Tired of blogs? <laughs> Me too. Moby Lives Radio starts now. the intergalactic headquarters of Melville House Publishing in Hoboken, New Jersey, aka the left bank of New York City, it's Moby Lives Radio. Greetings, Earthlings. It's Wednesday, the 14th day of December in 2005. I'm Dennis Johnson. On today's show, a special in-depth interview of author Paul Berman, We'll be talking about his new book, Power and the Idealists, a sweeping saga about what happened to the radicals who took to the streets of Europe in 1968. Some ended up in terrorist groups like the Bader-Meinhof gang. Others ended up in government. But first, here's a look at some news from the book world. A Turkish court asked to render judgment on writer Orhan Pamuk has said it doesn't believe it has the authority to do so. Pamuk, author of the bestseller Red, has been charged with, quote, denigrating the Turkish national identity, close quote, and he could be sentenced to up to three years in prison for remarks he made about the Armenian Holocaust in an interview with the Swiss magazine last February. In the interview, Pamuk said, quote, one million Armenians and 30,000 Kurds were killed in these lands, and nobody but me dares to talk about it. Close quote. But the court, given his case, says the Turkish laws have been updated since the comments. The laws were amended to meet the standards of the European Union to which Turkey has applied for membership. And the court says Pamuk should be tried under the old laws, which are more favorable to the defendant. The court says only the Ministry of Justice can authorize that, however. Well, the Ministry of Justice says it's up to the court. While the two are at an impasse, the Agence France Presse, meanwhile, reports that the EU will be sending a delegation to witness Pamuk's trial. And it also says that the EU warned Turkey if Pamuk is sentenced, it will hurt Turkey's bid to join the EU. In Baltimore, Maryland, a six-year-old boy and his mother are publishing a book on how to cope when your father or mother is sent to war. Isaac Yon's father, Bill Yon, spent a year as an army reservist in Iraq. And Isaac's mother, Debbie, tells the UPI wire service she was unable to find any self-help books on how to help her son cope with the situation. So, she says, she began jotting down conversations she'd overheard between Isaac and his father, as well as poems and other phrases that Isaac had surprised her with. She compiled it all into a 22-page booklet, which Isaac carried around with him at school, and Debbie Young says that soon other parents started asking her for copies of the booklet. So far, she has sold over 500 copies and donated another 100 to underprivileged families. Meanwhile, literary reporters in England are saying that upon reconsideration, yesterday's announcement by the Whitbread Corporation that it would no longer sponsor the prestigious Whitbread Literary Awards may not mean quite what it was first taken to mean. The giant conglomerate announced that as its Whitbread brand no longer existed, it no longer made sense to promote it through the prestigious awards. 
However, as John Sutherland notes in The Guardian, quote, from its somewhat cloudy press statement, it seems that Whitbread may be thinking of moving sponsorship of the country's second most prestigious literary prize onto one of its subordinate brands, close quote. So what brands amongst the conglomerate's many other holdings might that be? Sutherland elucidates it could be the TGI Fridays Literary Awards, he notes, or the Yum Literary Awards, the Beefeater Literary Awards, or the Pizza Hut Literary Awards. The owner of Viacom, the giant conglomerate that owns the world's third largest publisher, Simon & Schuster, has said he'd happily sell the company off if someone would just make him an offer. Viacom also owns CBS Television and and Paramount Pictures, which just purchased Steven Spielberg's DreamWorks, but Viacom CEO Sumner Redstone said in an interview with Reuters yesterday that, quote, we have certain assets which give us a lot of cash flow but don't have the growth potential we're looking for, like our theme parks and like Simon & Schuster. If someone offered us enough money, we'd probably just sell it. Close quote. And finally in the news, American leftist politician Eugene McCarthy died earlier this week, and the website for the Center for International Education, that's T-H-E-C-I-E dot org, reminds us that McCarthy may have been the only presidential candidate in the last several decades who wrote poetry. The site has posted several of McCarthy's poems, including his Me Lai conversation, which reads... How old are you, small Vietnamese boy? Six fingers, six years. Why did you carry water to the wounded soldier, now dead? Your father. Your father was enemy of the free world. You also now are enemy of the free world. Who told you to carry water to your father? Your mother. Your mother is also enemy of free world. You go into ditch with your mother. American politician has said it is better to kill you as a boy in the elephant grass of Vietnam than to have to kill you as a man in the ryegrass in the USA. You understand, it's easier to die where you know the names of the birds, the trees, and the grass than in a stranger country. You'll be number 128 in the body count for today. High body count will make the commander-in-chief of the free world much encouraged. Goodbye, small six-year-old Vietnamese boy, enemy of the free world. That's the news for Wednesday, the 14th of December, 2005. I'm Dennis Johnson. It's December 14th, and on this day in literary history, in 1640, the first professional woman writer in English, Afra Ben, was baptized in Harbledown in England. Afra Ben was a successful playwright and novelist, though her beginnings are something of a mystery. The particulars of her early life are disputed, but many historians believe she was probably the daughter of Bartholomew Johnson and Elizabeth Denham of Harbledown, and she appears to have lived in Suriname, then the English colony known as Dutch Guiana, for several years as a young woman. In approximately 1664, she is believed to have married a merchant of German extraction by the last name of Ben, who died a few years later. Though the marriage is questionable, there appears to be no trace of Mr. Ben. 
After her probable husband's death, the widow Ben allegedly served as a spy in Antwerp for Charles II in 1667. Hers was not a terribly successful spying career, and when she went to debtor's prison for debts incurred while in the service of the crown, though she was released soon afterwards. Upon her release, she began writing to support herself, and soon became the single most prolific and successful dramatist in Restoration England, with the exception of John Dryden, the country's poet, poet laureate. Her first play, The Forced Marriage, was produced in 1671 by the Duke's Company, and was a great hit. Ben went on to write many more successful comedies, of which 17 survive, including her most popular work, The Rover. She also wrote poetry prolifically, much of which was quite erotic and not without humor, and prose. Her novel, Orinoco, about an enslaved African prince, drew, perhaps, on her experience in Suriname, and she was wildly prolific in other prose forms as well, writing political tracts, propaganda for the Stuart monarchy, and translations from the German and French. A bold critic of her times, she wrote unflinchingly about class, politics, sex, and race. One of her plays irritated the Duke of Monmouth enough to land Ben briefly in jail, but she continued to write lively satiric plays and poetry up until her death in 1689. And though her beginnings were obscure, her end was not. In recognition of her literary achievements, Aphra Ben was the first woman to be buried in Westminster Abbey. I'm not Valerie Marians, and that's This Day in Literary History. I know my chicken. You got to know you a chicken. I know my chicken. You got to know you a chicken. I know my chicken. You got to know you a chicken. I know my chicken. Paul Berman is on the line. Uh, Paul Berman, you've written numerous books trying to put moderate uh, modern intellectual movements into context and they're usually uh, very exciting but rather sweeping tales of, of, of some very large subjects for example your last book was called terror and liberalism but in your new book power and the idealists uh, it seems to have started from a much more simple starting point it started with a, a group of pictures I was wondering if you would explain to our listeners what those pictures were and how they inspired you. Uh, the new book, uh, Power and the Idealists, does begin with a set of, of pictures, photographs actually, which appeared in, in Stern magazine in Germany in January 2001. In 2001, uh, Germany was still uh, under the uh, government of uh, Gerhard Schroeder uh, in alliance with the Green Party, which was led by Joschka Fischer. Fischer was the foreign minister, Schroeder, the, uh, the, the, the chancellor. And the photographs that appeared in, in Stern magazine showed Joschka Fischer at an earlier stage of his life, uh, but they showed him at a somewhat embarrassing earlier stage, uh, which was 1973. What the photo showed was a left-wing street riot uh, in which, uh, in, um, in Frankfurt, in which uh, a figure in a black uh, motorcycle helmet uh, was seen to be uh, confronting and then attacking and then beating a figure in a white uh, helmet who was a policeman. The figure in the black motorcycle helmet was Yoshka Fisher, and uh, he was taking part in a, in a, in a left-wing street brawl, and he was beating up a policeman. Uh, together with a with a group of other uh, militants of the of the radical left or of the revolutionary left, 
<laughs> so these these photos appeared in 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 the magazine, and of course there was a uh, just an immense uproar in Germany, a spectacular uproar, which uh, which uh, set off uh, shockwaves that, that went all over Europe, and, uh, and in a small degree um, uh, uh, went to the United States too, aroused uh, quite a lot of journalistic commentary and indignant editorial in the New York Times, and uh, many things to that effect. Uh, the shock was to see that that Fisher had been such an extreme leftist, uh, uh, almost thirty years um, earlier. Uh, he, he'd been really on the on the on the revolutionary left and the, and the, the somewhat violent uh, uh, revolutionary left. Everyone understood that Fisher was a uh, was a green, uh, but the green uh, the Greens in Germany uh, are a party. Uh, uh, that has always had a um, uh, a pacifist bent, so it was shocking to see uh, Fisher in such a um, the young Fisher, the very young Fisher, in in such a violent posture. Uh, and what this showed uh, finally was that Fisher's political evolution, which had led him finally to become uh, prime minister, had gone through a number of stages or more stages than people had been than the general public had had been aware of. Uh, and he had begun really as a, as a revolutionary leftist in the years around 1968. Then had evolved into something of a anti-militarist uh, in the style of the Greens, of the German Greens, and then had evolved into the foreign, uh, into the political figure who had become foreign minister of of Germany. So the the pictures. Uh, uh, caused a scandal, needless to say, uh, Fisher's enemies, uh, who were all over the map, on the right and on the left, and in many countries, uh, uh, demanded, as you can ex- as you could expect, uh, demanded his uh, resignation, and held hearings in the Bundestag uh, to inquire into this, and, and generally tried to um, uh, mount a, uh, a political attack on him. There was a, um, a, lot, a, a, a large number of journalists uh, Went scurrying through the archives and making interviews, uh, trying to dig up uh, uh, additional um, damning facts about about Fisher. Uh, but at the same time, uh, these these political attacks uh, caused some people to think back or to reflect on what had been the history uh, that might lead somebody like Fisher through all these different different courses and, and what what might have caused um, this kind of uh, political evolution. And that was the task that I set before myself in in 2001, uh, reading about this or hearing about this in in New York, where I I live. Uh, I I became indignant um, on Fisher's behalf. Uh-huh. The the New York Times published its little tiny editorial uh, deploring Fisher's um, left wing um, uh, uh, past and his violence when he was young. And and all but calling, nearly calling, all but calling for his resignation, mm-hmm. uh, with a comment that uh, one more damning fact, and maybe Fisher should step down. Right. And uh, I became uh, indignant at that. I thought that, uh, unlike every, nearly everyone else, I could understand how Fisher had evolved from one position to the to another uh, to a third, and 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 it all made a, a kind of a sense uh, to me. It's not that I. Think or thought that it was good to beat up a policeman or anybody else, but but uh, I could understand how uh, a serious person like Fisher uh, 
had ended up doing such a thing when he was young, and then why he would have uh, put that behind him and mm-hmm. and uh, evolved into into something else. And so, in the early months of 2001, I I set out to explain all this, and I, I did this in uh, what I intended to be a, a short article rebutting the New York Times uh, editorial. But the short article evolved in time into a long article and mm-hmm. into a very long article and finally into a gigantic essay, which uh, I published in the New Republic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that came out in um, the double issue of the New Republic uh, of August 28 to September 3, 2001, uh-huh. uh, which is to say no sooner did my uh, long essay on uh, Yashka Fisher and his evolution um, uh, appear in print uh, than a gigantic uh, no sooner did this happen than a gigantic terrorist attack right. took place in the United States right. um, putting the whole question of political violence and, uh, and, and, and the question of what does it mean to be, uh, to be on the left uh, putting all those questions um, uh, or, or placing all those questions uh, before us in a, in a new light uh, a little later uh, I returned to this to this theme of uh, the photographs about Fisher and the scandal from 1973 and the debates that had taken place early in 2001. And I wrote more about it, uh, bringing the story up um, really into, into 2005. Mm-hmm. And the results are, are the book, uh, Power and the Idealists, which, which begins with those photographs. And you can see the photographs in the opening pages of the book um, uh, of Fisher beating, uh, the young Fisher beating up the policeman. And and then the book goes on to explain um, the whole the whole story. And um, of course, my my purpose in in doing this, uh, well, I had several purposes. Um, one was just to tell a good story because it is a pretty good story mm-hmm. um, uh, about how someone uh, would go through those those many changes. But I also wanted to expound, um, get at uh, uh, some deep questions about what does it mean to be on the left. Uh, what should it mean to be on the left? What are the real values of the left? Uh, what should be the values of the left? What should be the position of the left now? Uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, I wrote about this in the context of um, Western Europe, uh, in the context of, uh, of Fisher's Germany, but also uh, with a lot of attention to uh, France and, and uh, the people of Fisher's generation in France and the left-wingers of Fisher's generation in France the old uh, veterans of the 1968 student uprisings. Um, but although I wrote about this in connection to Germany, I had very much a, um, a um, uh, an American landscape in mind. And I, I wrote the book really to uh, explore the questions of what is the left, what should the left be, uh, uh, what are the deep, deepest values of, of, of the left, what should they be, uh, I, I, I wrote this with, with, with uh, our own American uh, scene in mind, but using the Europeans to tell the story in that way to try and get a little distance on our, our own situation. Well, that's one of the most attractive aspects of the book, in fact. There is a really widespread cast of fascinating characters, um, not just uh, uh, Fischer in Germany, but um, some some really fascinating people from the French left, um, some people from in between the German and French left, such as the famous uh, Danny the Red, yes. as he was known, who later became Danny the Green. 
um, I suppose, who who was one of the leaders of the French uh, um, uh, 68 movement, um, but was subsequently back in Germany shortly thereafter. Um, Dr. Bernard Kushner, the founder of Medicine Sans Frontiers, the Doctors Without Borders group, is another prominent figure. And on, I mean, it is not just the story of, of Yashka Fischer. No, uh, and there's even, uh, the, really the core of the book uh, has to do also, or, or some central a- uh, scenes in the book, uh, really have to do finally with Che Guevara mm-hmm. uh, in 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 Cuba and then and in the jungles of uh, of Bolivia and Regis Debray's Regis Debray, uh, writings uh, about him Che's friend and mm-hmm. and and comrade and who was French and is French and so the uh, the book uh, does tell uh, uh, definitely a, an international story mm-hmm. and uh, and a story which ranges over the decades and. Uh, I said about the right about I said about writing a book uh, of this sort um, for two reasons really. Uh, uh, first, uh, it's my belief that that um, given the nature of modern life, really, it, 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 we're going to have to learn how to write and read uh, histories that are international mm-hmm. that take place in mm-hmm. in many countries and not just in one's own country. And uh, national borders don't mean the same thing that they that they may have meant uh, uh, long ago in the, in the in the past. Things take place now. Ideas evolve. Political movements uh, evolve internationally, and and there's no way of avoiding that. So uh, the only way to, to to write about and think about um, some kinds of developments uh, in our modern world is is to do so uh, internationally. At the same time, in in writing the, the the book the way I did, I I I wanted to uh, conduct uh, something of a um, literary experiment, and the book is a literary experiment. Uh, I, I begin with very specific uh, uh, facts and details about the photographs right. of Yashka Fisher, and uh, and then I go into his particular uh, uh, history. But I allow this to lead me into. Um, into all the other personalities whom you've mentioned, right. and, and several uh, several people who you haven't even mentioned, and 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 to go back and forth from one country to another, and 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 and, and to range back and forth over the decades too. Uh, uh, and yet the book has a very kind of compelling sense of narrative to it, a uh, very forward-moving narrative. Uh, it is a great story. Uh, Yes, and or I hope it is, and 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 it it has a um, uh, it, it it has a, uh, a a a forward going motion, and and the reason for that is uh, it, it's because in telling this story, which 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 is so complicated on 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 one hand, I I'm telling a story which is also extremely simple, on the other hand, and 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 this is a story of. Of, of, it's the kind of story that comes to you when you look at somebody as an adult and you ask yourself, why is this person the way he is? Why does he do the things uh, that he does? And and if you ask yourself that question, you're going to be swept into the past. Yes. And then you're going to be swept back into the future, mm-hmm. or back into the present, and then and then back even further uh, to the past, mm-hmm. into the past. 
So I, I found myself in uh, in the course of recounting the uh, the story of the evolution of Fisher and and other people from the European left of our time. I I found myself um, uh, uh, really forced just by the logic of my own. Uh, narrative by the logic of my own story uh, to look further into the past until finally uh, I was face to face contemplating um, some um, what are to me very moving uh, questions of what uh, did it mean to be a um, a little child growing up in the 1940s and the 1950s and, uh, what, did, what did it mean to, to grow up in, um, in Europe in the heart of Europe, uh, uh, in the last days of uh, Nazism, and in the, and in the years that 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 followed immediately after the defeat of Nazism, because this is finally the deep childhood background that that lies behind uh, uh, Fisher and his life, and Regis Debray and mm-hmm. Bernard Kushner and and Andre Glucksmann and and the, and the other people that I write about um, in the book, and I think this is a story that. Uh, lies behind um, uh, the political tra- trajectories of um, of a great many people all over the world, uh, not just Europeans. Uh, uh, everybody really who had to grow up in the wake of or in the shadow of um, of World War II and the events that had taken place either before one was born or or in the early years of one's life. If, uh, for people who are a little older, like um, uh, uh, Glucksmann and uh, Bernard Kushner. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the drama of the story, it's it's the same, it really as with anyone's life. The drama of one's life mm-hmm. uh, becomes bigger and bigger the further back one looks. Um, and uh, in the case of um, of these stories, uh, which are about our own time, uh, uh, it finally became obvious to me that there was no way to understand our own time and the events of our own time um, without taking into account the fact that. Uh, the figures who who are so prominent uh, politically uh, today, uh, like uh, Kushner, uh, um, uh, who is a major political figure in France, and as you mentioned, the founder of Doctors Without Borders, and Yashka uh, Fischer, who is really a, a, a world figure admired um, uh, by many people, and especially on the left, uh, all over the world, and Danny Cohn-Bendit, Danny the Red, and uh, that people like, people like this that um, uh, that in contemplating uh, these people who 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 cut such a very large figure on, in today's uh, political landscape, uh, you have to give some thought to um, what it was like to be a kid in the 1950s and the 1940s, and then finally what it was like uh, uh, to grow up in the sort of sorts of families that these people grew up uh, in, and finally, uh, what was the experience, what was the deep experience of um, uh, surviving Nazism in uh, in Europe. Uh, Kushner's uh, grandparents ended up in, in Auschwitz, right. and uh, uh, quite a lot of people uh, who, who, who are mentioned uh, or discussed somewhat in, in the book uh, are uh, the children or grandchildren of people who were killed in the in the Holocaust, and quite a number of other people uh, are the children of people who were um, uh, soldiers for Nazi Germany, or or, or played some other role, um, uh, a dreadful role, 
um, in in those events of 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 long ago. So uh, I I I wrote the book in the form of a literary experiment um, uh, because I I I wanted to be able to describe someone uh, today and events of today, but also uh, at the same time show the vast. Uh, background, which which carries us all the way to Latin America on one hand, carries us back to to um, the days when Nazism uh, uh, ruled Europe. Uh, on the other hand, and, um, I wanted I wanted to be able to do all these things at once, because life is like that. Life uh, reaches out in all directions at once, into the past and into faraway countries, and back into in in into the present. One's own life. Is, is like that. And so in order to write a, a book that captures what it means to be um, uh, a political figure of today, it's really necessary to find some way to discuss these many things. And uh, so I set out to, to, to write a, a narrative in, wh- in which I, I vowed uh, to myself at the start when I set about doing it, uh, to allow the logic of the story to lead me wherever it was going to lead me, um, and to lead me to uh, many different places at at once, counting on the fact that the drama of the story itself and of my own emotion in, in telling the story would provide the momentum that would that would drive um, drive the narrative forward, and I think it does. Um, well, one of the things you do very interestingly is you can take any one of the characters that you've mentioned, such as Yashka Fisher, and you will talk about how they have evolved and converted, and yet in another sense they haven't. Um, that they are still fighting the forces that uh, that are generally the same set of, of, of forces they started out fighting. Um, and one way you make an example of this is by talking about um, a school of uh, a French school of thought that's often dismissed. I, I think you're one of the few to really write about it in in any depth in English, um, which is the new philosophers. Um, that uh, was was formed in France as a response to Stalinism, essentially, or Marxism, which was the anti-Marxist group in France. Um, this was the first time, really, that any significant group of leftists uh, got together in Europe and and decided not to be Marxist and to to talk about the open problems of Marxism. Um, what interested you about the new philosophers so much? Why were you so attracted to them? Yes, well, I, I think the new philosophers are, are are really crucial to understanding um, a, a lot of things in our in our modern world, and I agree with you that um, uh, they haven't been much discussed in uh, in English, and uh, and that's been unfortunate for us in the English-speaking world in the United States and and and, and in all the English-speaking countries. Uh, it's not. Uh, it's not true that that the new philosophers were the first group of people ever to turn against uh, to begin as Marxists and then to turn against Marxism. But but they were the they were the first group group of people who uh, to do this who came out of the of the uh, of um, what we in the United States uh, used to call the new left. That is the the radical left right. of, of the years right. uh, of the 1960s and the years around 1968. And and. Uh, and what the new philosophers did was was something um, uh, well important in 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 this way the the great the single most uh, important 
cause that uh, united left-wing movements all over the world uh, in the 1960s and increasingly uh, increasingly as the 1960s wore on and then into the 1970s the single most important cause the united left all over the world was was um, opposition to the United States uh, in Vietnam right. and in Indochina, right. and this this was just a gigantic movement, and it was a it was a gigantic movement in the United States, uh, but it wasn't merely an American movement; it was it right. was a worldwide movement, and and uh, uh, truly a vast worldwide movement. I think that I think it was the last uh, truly vast uh, worldwide movement of of the well. That's not really true. One of the anyway, it was a <laughs> it was it was a very large uh, uh, movement all over the world. Right. And and uh, in um, finally, the United States, you know, it, in a series of uh, stages, um, uh, through the uh, early uh, beginning in the, uh, 1972 or so, uh, and then uh, uh, through 1974, um, uh, did withdraw from Vietnam. And and on the left, uh, on the radical left, uh, all over the world, uh, people counted uh, the American withdrawal as a um, as a gigantic victory for the left. And and of course, as a result of the American uh, withdrawal, uh, the the uh, other side, the anti-American side, the side fighting against the United States uh, in Indochina, came to power, which was uh, the communists in in South Vietnam. Uh, who then uh, uh, reunited South Vietnam with North Vietnam and and the communists in Cambodia and, and elsewhere, and uh, and this was uh, regarded as as a, as a great triumph. But but the actual thing that happened, of course, uh, after the communist victory was that first thing that happened was that a million and a half uh, Vietnamese uh, fled into the open sea in little boats in terror uh, at what. A communist victory in Vietnam was going to going to mean mm-hmm. so it, uh, just a gigantic uh, torrent of refugees uh, took their lives in the, into their hands and fled into the sea. It was it was it was a horrendous thing uh, to see. And the second thing that happened was that nearly 25 percent of the entire population of Cambodia was slaughtered right. by the new communist government. And so the, the 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 events that took place after the American withdrawal from Indochina were some of the worst events that have ever taken place anywhere, and and uh, were certainly on a scale, uh, 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 morally on a scale, uh, with Nazism. Uh, that that was that was that was absolutely the case in in um, in Cambodia. Uh, um, uh, uh, Hitler killed um, uh, a, a third of the uh, entire Jewish people uh, around the world, uh, two-thirds of the Jews of Europe, and the Cambodian communists killed nearly a quarter of, the, of their own population, of the Cambodian population. These, these were crimes on, on, on Hitlerian scale. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that uh, the left and the people who'd come out of the left in um, most of the world... Um, Failed really to come to grips with this, right? And uh, the new philosophers in France now; these were young people, uh, uh, generally people in their uh, uh, young intellectuals in their in their um, 
uh, 20s. Uh, one or two of them were in their 30s. Uh, in France, who'd grown up in the in the Marxist movement in France, and who who who, who were really uh, extremely sophisticated in 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 uh, philosophical questions and in the doctrines of Marxism, and um, uh, some of them uh, ha- had a uh, just an absolutely superlative education in this this kind of thing and deep background in the in the Marxist tradition. Uh, quite a few of the people who came out who uh, became the new philosophers had grown up in the bosom of the Communist Party in, 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 in France. Uh, somebody like André Glucksmann right. uh, had a deep uh, uh, communist background. Uh, Glucksmann was born in um, 1937 in, in, in France uh, of parents who were Czech Jews uh, uh, who'd ended up in France uh, and who had been active in the communist underground uh, during the Nazi era and uh, had been uh, part of the uh, communist resistance uh, movement. Glucksmann is uh, is a man who uh, joined the, uh, the, the the various communist youth movements as just a, just as a little child and and, and went through uh, went through the stages of uh, of uh, that kind of an education as did Bernard Kushner mm-hmm. and, and so these were people uh, uh, just with the uh, deepest and most sophisticated kind of of left wing background but but these people. In 1974 and 1975, uh, began suddenly to reassess things, and they did this first by reading the works of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, which were just then coming into into print uh, uh, about uh, uh, Stalinist uh, Soviet Union under Stalin, um, and uh, this was something of, of a re- revelation um, uh, to many people, and. And really, it was something of a revolution, uh, revelation uh, to everyone, right. because nobody had ever written uh, at as great length, or with in as much detail, or with as much uh, uh, literary force. No one had ever done this on, on uh, the way Solzhenitsyn did it in his um, gigantic work, The Gulag Archipelago. Uh, this book came. Uh, came into print in France and maybe in late 73 but in, uh, definitely in 1974 began to come into print it took a, lo- a long while to get the entire work into, into translation and then came in, uh, came into print in English and other languages around the world but it was in France that these young intellectuals in the left-wing movement began to look at this at Solzhenitsyn's uh, book very seriously and they looked at it seriously because not just because the, the question of Soviet communism was so important, and because, and not just because Solzhenitsyn had written such a brilliant book, um, but also and above all because in the very moments when they were looking at at Solzhenitsyn's pages, uh, in those very moments, the the horrors that I've just described in Indochina were taking place. Well, as you mentioned, in Power and the Idealists, they were also energized simply by the situation of the boat people, were they not? Yes, they were. Uh, the boat people were the were the Vietnamese who fled to sea, and and uh, to escape the escape the the new communist government and uh, uh, the new philosophers uh, uh, were the people who, well, led by Bernard Kushner and uh, and, and and with the support of these young intellectuals. Uh, these people uh, organized uh, organized a campaign to go rescue the boat people uh, from the sea. Uh, Dr. Kushner rented a boat and went sailing off into uh, 
Southeast Asia to rescue people from the sea. And, and uh, he had help, I believe, was it Finkelkraut and uh, Bernard-Henri Lévy? And, well, it was uh, Bernard-Henri Lévy and André Glucksmann and, and others, yes. And, and, uh, and these were people who'd, who'd come out of the left. And, and this kind of thing um, really represented a new sort of action. Mm-hmm. And it was a humanitarian action. It was a militant humanitarian action. It, it, it was a rescue action. It wasn't a revolutionary action. And it was a rescue action uh, actually on behalf of people who were victims of, of communism. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, of course, in the eyes of um, some people of the uh, old school dinosaur left, um, uh, to go off into, the, into Southeast Asia and re- rescue uh, uh, desperate drowning refugees was reactionary. Right. Uh, and it's, 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 it's hard to believe that anybody would think that, but, but they did think that. Right. And uh, the same kind of debate took place in the United States. Right. And, and, um, but these people, the new philosophers and their allies and Kushner, um, uh, uh, did organize uh, this kind of action. And, and I, I think that in doing so, they opened the door uh, uh, to a new kind of, um, of uh, political activism for the modern world, which is no longer trapped in the um, failed categories of the dinosaur left, but um, uh, uh, wanted to keep an eye on, on, on the question of uh, who was actually suffering and what was re- actually the, uh, the, 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 what were actually the instances of, of extreme suffering that one could see. Well, you go on to detail people like Kushner taking that action again and again on into the situation in Bosnia yes. um, and on, but all of it coming to a kind of tragic head in Iraq. Yes, because... It's because the whole current, the whole trajectory of humanitarian action, which 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 began um, with the boat people rescuing the Vietnamese boat people in 1979, this went through many phases. And, uh, the NATO intervention in um, in Bosnia and then in the Kosovo uh, at the end of the 90s, and 1990s, uh, this was sparked above all by people from the left, and and. And, was, and above all, by people who'd gone through the trajectory that I, I describe in Power on the Idealists. Um, now, in some people's eyes, and in my eyes, uh, a, a natural next step uh, uh, for people um, uh, with that kind of left-wing humanitarian idea in mind, a natural uh, step was to support uh, the overthrow of Saddam Hussein, uh, not to support uh, the way Bush went about it, Right. Um, uh, uh, but to support it, um, uh, but to look for a, for a different way, for a way to continue the kind of humanitarian intervention that had taken place in, in Bosnia and, 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 and Kosovo. And then when Bush uh, went about it doing it uh, his own regrettable way, um, uh, I think the natural thing was, was to try and um, uh, uh, do what one, what one could do uh, to, to uh, make things uh, work out better uh, rather, th- rather than worse. Um, the response of other people uh, from that same tra- trajectory was to oppose the intervention in, in, in Iraq uh, altogether. And some people um, uh, favoring the overthrow of Saddam, uh, even while they opposed uh, Bush's way of, of going about it, and other people wanting uh, 
essentially nothing to do with it, um, uh, even if they too uh, detested and loathed uh, uh, Saddam Hussein. Um, people with both points of view uh, 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 were and are, and in my eyes, um, honorable members of the anti-totalitarian left, um, uh, which is not identical with the left as a whole. This right. is the anti-totalitarian left, the right. people who are enemies of extreme oppression, no matter where it may be, left-wing or right-wing, or uh, uh, whether or not the United States is on one side or the other. Um, but um, this this political uh, tendency has, has uh, just uh, uh, gone into a desperate crisis uh, over this. Uh, we'll see how it all works out. Um, well, it gives it gives power in the idealists quite a, a Shakespearean ending almost, where all the players are are on stage and, uh, and not necessarily in agreement. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't want to spoil the book because it, it is remarkably enough a very suspenseful narrative in addition to being just a, a reportage of history. Um, but it, it's a remarkable close to the, to the saga. Um, I'm wondering if you have, since writing and publishing the book, heard from any of the principals about it. There was a story on The Wire the other day about Bill Clinton supposedly uh, being overheard talking to Yashka Fisher about it. And I'm wondering if you've heard from any of the other players. Yes, well, Der Spiegel in Germany uh, uh, reported that uh, that Clinton told uh, Fisher at an event in... Um, in uh, Israel, that he'd been up all night uh, uh, reading the book, uh, and uh, which was funny and was amusing, amusing to me. Um, I know that uh, uh, Fisher has read a, a, a portion of it, and uh, I discussed it with him. And um, uh, I, 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 I have heard uh, uh, just now from Andre Glucksmann, um, uh, who, uh, who sent me a note. Um, uh, saying um, uh, how impressed uh, he was at, at it. He thought it was the um, first um, effort to uh, provide a, a really thorough panorama of uh, 35 years of history and more uh, of, of, of the left. Uh, on the other hand, he comes off quite well in the book, so uh, yes. it's not too surprising that he he should think well of it. Uh, and um, uh, from the other principles, uh, I, I I I haven't heard yet. Uh, it seems, if if I'm reading correctly from the text, I, I couldn't tell if you had interviewed people specifically for the book or not. But you uh, you referenced talking to Regis Debray, I, I recall. Um, did you also speak to Daniel Combendi? Uh, Combendi. Uh, hey, Regis Debray is somebody who I interviewed uh, years ago um, uh, when I was working at the at the Village Voice. I didn't go back to interview him uh, uh, for the for the book, but I um, I read his uh, political memoirs, which uh -huh. have not been translated in English, but are really a great book, Louis Swan No Seigneur, where he explains um, what he really thinks and thought about Che Guevara, right. uh, with whom he was so so. Uh, so close. With whom he was arrested. Uh, yes, yes, and nearly shot uh, in in 1967. Um, uh, Con Bendit is somebody with whom I had dinner uh, 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 just a few weeks ago, uh, as 
as, as we speak. But but uh, I, I didn't talk to him uh, uh, in the preparation of the of the book. Um, so I interviewed some of these people and and, and others not. Um, the their the the crux of the book is is not so much um, based on um, uh, on the kind of thing I could get from an interview, but 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 really from just following the written record of it. And and uh, all of these uh, people have been um, very expressive in print and 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 in their public um, and in in their in their public roles. The crucial thing in writing the book was. Was just to follow the public debate in Europe, which which hardly anybody does in the United States, right. uh, and and to follow it. Uh, I followed it above all in in in, in France, and and, and followed the, uh, uh, the the whole debate. Oh, and all, of course, I I, I know quite well uh, Glucksmann and interviewed him and um uh, at quite some length. Well, there are quite a few interviews that went into the book, but but the book is is above all based on. Um, my readings in in in, in the uh, uh, the books and essays that these various people have been have been um, writing. I've I've been reading at great length. Also, uh, Bernard Henri Levy, who whose name appears in the book, he he he's not a major figure in the in the book, but he's certainly been a major figure for me in in um, uh, following the general trajectory of of this current of thought in in um, in Europe. Right. Yes, um, he's actually been doing lots of commentary about it in American publications as well, so it's a little easier to follow him, isn't it? Yes, now, yes. Um, well, the book, once again, for our listeners, is called Power and the Idealist. It's a follow-up uh, to your last great book, Terror and Liberalism. Yeah. Paul Berman, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for coming on Mobilis Radio. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. And that's our show for Wednesday, the 14th day of December, 2005. Thanks to Paul Berman for coming on the show. His book, once again, is called Power and the Idealists, and it's from Sosco Press. Uh, Come back tomorrow. We're going to be talking to Jessa Crispin in Chicago, George Murray in Canada, and more. In the meanwhile, thanks to our engineer Andrew Steinmetz and to the crew at Melville House, Kelly Burdick, Becky Kramer, and publisher Valerie Marians. We'll see you tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget, that whale is out there, man. <laughs> <laughs>